Hi, I'm Mark from Marinda Safeway. We offer great savings on groceries, but did you know we also offer savings at the pump? Earn 10 cents off per gallon when you spend $100 at Safeway stores. Enter your phone number or swipe your club card at the register and earn points. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Maximum gas reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon and $1 per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com forward slash reward. This is Mark from Marinda Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence Sider with the PH. Hey guys, it's Wednesday night. This is Kevin coming to you with the Fence Sider podcast. Welcome back. Uh, go ahead and welcome in James. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing well. And Chris Duke is here. And because I can. Welcome, Duke. Howdy, howdy. Oh, I thought we lost you there for a second. So, how are you guys doing? Well, I've already asked you, James. How are you doing, Chris? I'm okay, I suppose. I think uh, I, th- I think all of us are pretty much of that um, mentality right now. Of the yeah, I guess I'm okay, and I think a lot of it comes from the Dolphins. And James and I were talking about this before the show that where we are right now with this team is exactly where this team was supposed to be. I mean, before the season, my projection was eight and eight. And I was happy from six to eight wins. And I know I've said it many times. Six to eight wins, and I'm happy. Um, Then everybody was like, how are they even going to make six wins? And there were all kinds of people that were saying this team was a three-win team. This team was a four-win team, somewhere around there. And the fact that we're at five wins right now is probably about where we should be. But because early in the season – we looked better than this. Now it feels like five wins is a disappointment. And the fact that we're at five and eight and three games below 500 and pretty much out of the playoff race, I mean, it, it feels bad. And I think most of us are of that opinion right now that it's just like, eh, okay. And I think the site has looked like that. The comments are down on the site. Our posts are down on the site just because I think everybody's just at that point of the season where. We're tired now. The Dolphins aren't going to make the playoffs once again, and we're tired. But uh, what's your guys' take on where we are? I knew this was coming. I mean, at the beginning of the year, we all got our hopes up a little high when we went on that little win streak. Um, probably a little, little bit of an unrealistic expectation of what you know what we could be. Obviously, we've lost some games that we could win, but that's what young teams and experienced teams do. Young, that's what young quarterbacks do. It's just part of the part of the deal. So, uh, I mean, all in all, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fine. You know, there were people about to jump off a bridge because we lost to San Francisco. It's freaking San Francisco 49ers are one of the yeah. top, you know, three or four best teams in the entire NFL. Why, why is anybody upset? You know, we didn't yeah, get blown, that was if we got blown out 52 to nothing, then I'd be pissed. 
That was one of the hard things to remember is that the 49ers are one of the top teams. And the fact that we hung with them as long as we did is impressive, but it didn't take away the sting. And Chris, before I go to you on your thoughts of the team right now, James, go ahead and refresh your board. And now, Chris. Yeah, I agree with both those assessments. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the the fans' expectations are are screaming no moss at this point. They just kind of we've just kind of had it. Like, look, you know, just just play. You know, we you know we're we're done with this. You know, because it's not the way that we're losing. Well, let me rephrase it. It's it is the way that we're losing. It's not as we expected to lose. I mean, we expected to go out against these good teams and lose by multiple scores. Um, and then we've had all these close games. We've we've only really had two games that weren't close. That was the, the Titans and the um, and the Texans. Every other game we have been in at the end, we've had chances to win or tie. We've had chances to be there. It's kind of like... Um, to go back to my boxing metaphor, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was the goofy-looking dude that boxed um, Muhammad Ali and went with him for like the whole, the whole, you know, nearly the entire match, and it inspired the, the Rocky movies. Uh, I watched it on ESPN Classic one night. I was absolutely, you know, just wrapped by that. But anyway, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like here's this team that had no chance, but yet they're hanging in there against these these top teams and then we just kind of collapse at the end it's like it's like we feel like we're so close and yet we're not and it just after a while that just weighs on you're like i can't handle it anymore just you know i and in opposite of what james said i would rather go out and have lost to san francisco by you know you know 35 14 because i know they're better than, than us right I, you know it was worse for me to be you know the what was the what was twenty to thirteen, or whatever the final score was? Twenty-seven uh, thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was twenty to thirteen, and here we are with a chance. You're like, man, here's a team that everybody thinks can go to the Super Bowl, and we're hanging with them, and then ah, uh, let down. So yeah, I'd rather I'd rather got beaten badly because I kind of expected that, and I'd have been like, yeah, they're better than us. We know we're not that good. I hate to go in there and play these guys, but we might be as good as them. Oh, but we're not. I want to come back. What you were talking about. Um, brought brought up what I want to come back to about Ryan Tannehill, but Jason Scott's on the line right now, so let's go ahead and welcome him in. Jason, how are you? Hey, what's going on? Not a whole lot. Just you want to talk about where the team is right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we're kind of where we thought we'd be. You know, when I when we started the season, I figured we had a rookie quarterback to develop. And as long as we came out of the season and felt like we had that solved, we're, we had a good season. And I think that's where we're at right now. Um, I think we've got a lot of questions answered. Um, it looks to me like Jonathan Martin is going to be a good sh- a good piece to fill in there on the line. Um, so we're getting that solidified. Uh, Olivier Vernon started to come on and show a little spark, you know, where we can – you know, think maybe he could do something in the next few years, and um, I think we're in a good place. Yeah, I think Sorry. I think you're right. I think we're getting we're starting to see the pieces fit, and right. of course, we all know that there are 
holes still and there are pieces that need to be added. But you're right. We're starting to see the pieces fit. And some of these younger guys are starting to develop nicely. And they still have a way to go. I mean, obviously, Jonathan Martin still has a ways to go at right tackle or at left tackle. But it's starting to come together. And I think um, what I see mainly now, you know, I, I look back to where we were in 2007. I mean, we went 1-15. We were bad. But beyond that, we had no talent. We yeah. had no talent on that team. Um, teams, And you look at teams like San Francisco. Yeah, they were bad a couple of years ago. But they still had guys like Staley and, you know, some of the other guys that they had on the team. They had Vernon Davis when they were bad. You know, and got Patrick Willis. Yep. And, you know, at least they had some talent to build with. We had nothing when, when Iowa and, and all of them got in. So, you know, to think that we've come within a few plays of being able to do something against a team like that, that that's pretty, you know, exciting to me. I think we need to give Ireland a little bit of credit because, you know, everyone wants to bang on the guy. But, honestly, I looked at his drafting – and since he came to Miami, there's only three guys that he drafted that are no longer in the NFL. And when you think about what we had when he got here, um, that's what we needed. We needed somebody that could make those safe picks to build something for us. And we have something now. And now we just need to go out and get some playmakers. Um, we have the most cap room of any team in the NFL right now. Uh, I think they're saying $50 million. To spend. Yeah, somewhere right around there. And we have three or five draft five draft picks in the first three rounds. You know, we we should be able to get some pretty good talent. And I was thinking about where we need it. Obviously, receiver, receiver, receiver. Um, I don't think I think that's the big thing that's separating us now. Uh, nobody's open. Um, yeah. I'm watching games and nobody's open. Um, there's nobody for him to throw to. Um, he's having to force throws into spaces that a rookie shouldn't be asked to throw to. And he, he misses some of those shots, yeah. And there's a couple of those long passes that are wide open, and he misses them. But he's a rookie. Give him a break. You know, give him some time. Um, Brady misses some of those throws sometimes. You know, Manning yep. misses some of those throws. I've seen Marino miss those throws from time to time. So, you know, wind it back, relax a little bit, everyone. Let him just you know, progress and realize that he's a rookie and he's going to get better at that stuff. And we're going to get some playmakers that will make, give him some easy throws. Every single throw that he makes is is difficult because everyone's covered. And right. once we get people running open free, it's going to be game on, you know. Um, so I think, you know, yeah. that. And I was thinking about what we need on defense. And, yeah, we need – depth at cornerback. But I I don't think that we've been you know, we've been solid enough at cornerback even with the crap that we've pulled together to be decent at least. We're not getting a lot of takeaways, but when I think about how we get beat, we get beat on running game, on the running game a lot lately. And it's when people get outside and get on the edge on us and we don't have those athletic guys in the middle um, to be able to make plays on those people. They they, they run around us, and, they, you know, like I said before, Paul Solei, when when they're running the outside, they don't even block him. 
Yeah. You know, and he's great in the middle if you're running at him, but if you're going to have a guy just there and they're not even going to bother to block him, that hurts us on the running game. That gives us one extra guy for them to block with, and, you know, that's killing us from time to time. I really so think, I like having, I really think part I, of it, I think our best containment guy on that outside right now is, or our best two are Olivier Vernon. I love what he does on containment because he he stays home and he does it really well. If he's going yeah, after the quarterback, yeah. got it. But he stays home and he does it well. And we love to bash on him. We love to bang on him because he's not making those big plays that everybody wants. It almost feels like Channing Crowder again. But Koamisi, I really think this team missed Koamisi when he went out this past week. Definitely, that definitely, definitely. He is such a was run the one that supporter. Missed that. Trudnik was the one that missed that yeah. containment. Him and Jared Odrick were both yep. caught inside, and that killed us. And we need some more depth at linebacker. I was talking to someone, and somebody said Manti Teo. If we could pick that guy up, oh, I man. Would, I could I put, off, I could put off receivers for another round and just get two in the second. But if we could come away with that guy, oh, my gosh. I really I, I I am of the opinion that the Dolphins don't go wide receiver in the first round. Um and Chris, I want to talk to you about this in a minute. But uh I think that it's probably either defensive end or cornerback. But if you went Manti Teo in the first round, and that would be assuming that he would fall to where the Dolphins would be, which he probably Yeah, would. that would be but um I would I would have absolutely zero problems with Manti Teo, even though I mean we're stacked at linebackers at the starters level. I mean it's going to be hard like to unseat that. somebody like Carlos Dansby just because of the money. But I mean if you got Teo in there, even if he's sitting for a year or splitting time with Dansby or something, I think that you could very much so do a lot worse than taking Dans or uh, taking Teo. And stashing him on your bench for a year. Or Dansby could kick out to um, strong side. He could. He could. He very much so could and put um, Teo in the middle. I don't don't think linebacker is an issue for us. Uh, I mean, (laughs) Pro Football Focus has Kevin Burnett as as one of their one of their Pro Bowl picks. They think he's playing. uh, You know, they think he would start alongside Von Miller as the AFC outside linebacker. And, of course, they always run the 4-3 in the Pro Bowl. But so, And you've got Dansby playing well, and you got, you've got Misi, and, and, and he comes off in, in nickel situations. But I think you're set there, and as, as good as Teo would be, I personally don't see him as being – I mean, if he's the best player available, you know, you got to take him. But he's going to go in the top five. I mean, yeah. you know, with, with the, the money that's involved now or the lack of huge money that's involved now with these – early picks, you can afford to take a guy like him, you know, in the top five, whereas before, you wouldn't want to spend that kind of money on a guy on a middle middle linebacker. But, I'm of the opinion I think Miami does go with a wide receiver in the first round. Uh, And I have have written, it's taken me three days, but I have written a post that will go up on the site hopefully tomorrow, and it's it's long. It's about 5,700 words. Um, (laughs) I got into it. But uh, I go over some of the uh, some of the uh, the free agency stuff, some of the cap room, 
And uh, we've got we've unless we re-sign everybody, every one of our own free agents, we're going to have a ton of cap space to to go get some guys. And I think we're going to address I think we're going to address the wide receiver position both in free agency and in the draft. Um, but Jason, going back to something that you were saying um, on the Daily Dolphin blog this week, um, Ben Valen had a uh, an interview or something on there with Mike Mayock, and this was this was Mike what Mike Mayock said about it. He, well, the first thing he said was he he, he implied that Tannehill could benefit long term from from the offense struggling this this year. He says, as a matter of fact, I think the experience of having to play this kind of football is going to help him, Mayock said. He has to fit it in tight windows. He's got to be physically tough because he's going to take a, he's taking a little bit of a beating right now. And once you start to get some speed out there and some wide receiver separation, it's going to look like he's got huge windows compared to what he's dealt with this year. And so that kind of goes back to what you're saying. I think we're going to address speed at the wide receiver position. I think we're going to get some guys that can create separation. And... You know, when Tannehill drops back in the pocket now, he sees a guy like Hartline, who I'm a, I'm a Hartline fan. I like what he's done yeah. for the team. But, you know, he's out there, and the corner is draped all over him, and he's got this really tiny window he's got to fit it in. When we're, you know, we're down 20 to 13, and we're trying to drive down the field, and we've got to hit these deep passes. He's got guys like Devon Bess, who is not known for speed. He's got guys like Marlon Moore and, Rash- and Rashard Matthews. Um, you know, guys that are you know the fourth, fourth wide receiver, fifth wide receiver on most teams, out there trying to beat these you know starting cornerbacks, and you know Tannehill, it's it's like trying to, you know, it's like trying to uh, shoot a basketball from from the other end of the basketball court. You've got this really tiny spot you're aiming at. So let's say we go out and get a guy like Mike Wallace, who is my pick in free agency. Let's say you get a guy like Mike Wallace, and all of a sudden he goes on one of those streaks down the sideline. Um, all of a sudden, that basket looks like, you know, um, it looks huge to Tannehill. He's like, wow, you know, that's a layup for him. So he just throws the ball out there and lets, and lets uh, Wallace run under it. Uh, like on that pass uh, in the Patriots game where Hartline was slightly overthrown. You know, and I, I, I believe it. And he'll did overthrow that pass. But again, it's one of those the guy he's working with. It was a safe throw. It was a safe throw. Do what? It yeah. was a safe throw. But you don't want to throw yeah, it to where. Was, yeah, and if that was Mike Wallace running out of that, he can turn around and jog backwards and catch that. So you know, when we get some speed out there, we get a guy like him out there that can create that separation. That, and not only that, but you gotta you gotta think what it's gonna do for guys like Bess. I mean, he works those underneath routes. But everybody can, and as Matt was talking about, the, the field is compressed. These safeties can, can, you know, they can they can sneak up and take away the deep and intermediate middle of the field. They can take away the outside stuff, and they force Bess to, you know, they force Bess to, to be compressed in those zones so he doesn't get any yards after the catch. So imagine what happens mm-hmm. if, we, you know, we get Mike Wallace and then go out and get a, get a guy in the draft. And these guys take off down the field, and these safeties are having to fall back and fall back because the corners are getting beat, and they're having to play. So all of a sudden, Bess is wide open. And even though he's not fast, he can get – he's got good feet. He can get separation from the slot. All of a sudden now, you know, it's third and five, 
he's got that little underneath right now. Instead of barely getting the first down and falling short or trying to have to make a move and run backwards like I complain about, he's got 10 yards to work with now, and maybe he can do something. So right. that speed is a big deal, and I think that's what we're going to address in free and early in the draft. Yeah, I think part of the problem we're having, too, with his throws being off, um, he's – what they're doing a lot of times is they're blanketing Heartline and Best because they know that's all we have. So they're double covering both of them, and, and they have no problem doing that because that's all we got. We don't have we don't have a lot of other, other people running free there. Um, so he knows that he can't throw it to anyone um, in this double-covered situations. He doesn't have uh, – Calvin Johnson that you can throw it to even if he's covered because he's going to win the battle. He doesn't have anyone that's going to win the battle. And his receivers have kind of shown it to him this year that he throws it near them and someone else and the other person is going to come up with it. Um, so, you know, I think having a guy like that, just one guy like that would open our offense up so much more because it would force them to yeah. stop double covering both of them. You know, and when one of the things that I am uh, that I have been talking about for a lot of uh, the past few weeks is, you know, I mentioned the deep and intermediate middle of the field. We don't have anybody that can run, a, you know, a a 15 yard square in. We don't have a guy that can can run those routes where the the middle part of the field is deeper than the you know, five to ten yard range to best in Fasano work. We don't have a guy that can work that area because we don't have anybody physical enough. And and I think, you know, we saw the culmination of that with the very first few plays of the game this past week. Um, the whatever it was, I think San Francisco was running like a cover one kind of zone, and Hartline got behind the corner and was wide open. And all he had to do was just, you know, he, he tried to put a move on the safety. The safety flew by him. All he has to do is keep his feet, and he can walk into the end zone. And the guy barely touched him, and his feet got tripped up, and he fell down. Now it was a big play, and, you know, you like those big plays. But you have to think that a guy like even a guy like Marshall or, some, you know, a guy that's a little more physical, um, you know, maybe even Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace you know, catches that ball. He doesn't get tripped up like that. So, right. you know, and I said I've been a Heartline fan, but that right there was just kind of one of those things. Like, you know, we we need somebody that's not that can that's a little more physical at the wide receiver position. Can win the battle. Things, those yeah. kind of things, yeah, those kind of things don't happen. Um, I also think um, it, it irritates me when I see Max protect. You know, we keep a tight end and a running back back blocking just because Reggie was as good as he blocks. Sometimes he put a hit on Alden Smith and I was like, wow, that's great. But why are we not just running him out in a, in a little, um, you know, um, route in the flats, like a wheel route or something like that, that every time that's going to draw somebody. Okay. If he's blocking one guy, he might be able to block Alden Smith. But I guarantee you, if he's running a wheel route, there's going to be one guy on him. Their whole team might be looking at him. I don't understand why we don't do that more. I think that the team started trying to do stuff like that this past week. Um, we heard it during the broadcast. 
that uh, Mike Sherman absolutely said the team needs to start working on getting uh, Reggie Bush out into pass uh, patterns more often. So I think it's coming. I don't know what took so long for them to realize this, but yeah, oh, you're absolutely right. But Chris, what were you going to say? And I think part of the issue there this past week was that um, I think it was the team we were facing. I, I think this week you're going to see less of of the, the max protect, less of that. I mean, you had a rookie right. uh, offensive tackle who has struggled on the right side being asked to go now, go now protect Tannehill's blind side against the guy who's leading the league in sacks. And, I mean, he, he played all right. He struggled some, and that one play where he got destroyed was just kind of embarrassing. But, you know, I mean, he kind of held his own, but they had to help him a lot. And I think that I think that played into the factor this week, the reason why you didn't see the running backs get out there and split out wide as much because, I mean, if that was the long of old that, that we knew, then, yeah, we would have done that. We would have worried about Alden Smith. It was like – and that was my biggest concern. Was like I was, I was worried, you know, that that Alden Smith is going to break the season, single season sack record this week uh, yeah. against against Martin. And so I think they had to help him out a little bit. Jacksonville, however, has 14 sacks on the season, which is the same as Cameron Wake. So yep. this is not a team that you would really be worried about generating a lot of pressure. So well, I you could have just stopped at worried about. Yeah. <laughs> so let so, me ask you this: How much of that? Lack of being able to use Reggie Bush, do you think, has to do with the fact that Philbin or Sherman have never had a guy like Reggie Bush? Um, you know, um, running backs have worked in a passing game in, um, you know, the, the West Coast offense. For instance, Roger Craig was a big part of that 49ers offense. But I don't think Philbin or Sherman have ever had a guy that explosive, that dynamic there. How long do you think it takes for them to actually get him involved and realize what they've got there? You know, I think they've used him used him well this year in some cases. Um, you know, I think they, they were able to – like, you know, I remember the Rams game, he almost scored on a little screen pass. They ran some good screen passes this week. I mean, they found a couple of ways. They've just not used him, I think, enough uh, in those areas. They haven't created those mismatch, mismatches. And I don't know if it's because they have, you know, if it's been because they like to have certain plays that they run on certain downs and distances, and that's been limited because I've noticed a lot in the past few weeks we seem to end up in a lot of third and longs. And whenever that happens, you see Daniel Thomas come in there because they use him for pass protection, and then they send him out. And, you know, I've seen Daniel Thomas make a lot of good plays in the passing game. And you kind of think to yourself, well, why isn't Reggie Bush back there doing that? Because, you know, if, if you get these little dump-off passes to him as compared to Daniel Thomas, it might be an even bigger play. And I think it's just because, you know, if it was third and four, they might would do that. If it's third and eight, you know, they've got to bring in the guys that they think are going to help out, and you know, in, certain, in that situation. In that case, they would have Thomas in there for, for pass protection. So I, it, it may be something like that. But I... I kind of agree with you. I mean, maybe it's because they haven't had a guy like that, and they just don't know what they're, you know, don't know what they have and don't know how to utilize that. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to think that because it, it would make you kind of think that they're, 
in a way, I don't know what they're doing, but. Well, no, it's a yeah. learning curve. I mean, he's a game changer, and there's not a lot of guys out there like that, so I wouldn't blame him for not knowing how to use him immediately. So Yeah, I mean, I think I think we'll see that this week. I, I think because, you know, and, and, and uh, Fielding called out the wide receivers this week, you know, basically said that they're, they're struggling to get separation. And and they brought in Armand Benz, and I don't know that much about him, uh, but I kind of like to pick up. He's a guy that he's not going to give you a lot now, but you can bring him into camp and maybe develop him a little bit and see what he's got. But, um, you know, so I think this week going against a team with with an inferior pass rush, they're going to they're going to start exploiting some of those matchups using Bush out there in the flat. And again, I, I can't remember which game it was, uh, but there was a game where uh, we Reggie Bush was lined up was lined up out wide, and the team saw it and um, started calling timeouts. And then the very next play, we handed off to Javorski Lane and he fumbled. I don't remember what game that was. But they used mm-hmm. him there, and defense got so flustered they had to call a timeout right as we snapped the ball, and we could tell it was going to Bush, and it was going to be a touchdown. Uh, yeah. yeah. So they they've tried some things; it just it doesn't seem like it's worked. Well, after the weird silence right there, Jason, yeah. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll thank you for calling in. All right. Thanks. You uh, thanks you have a good night. Me. Yep. Oh, hey, um, I'm going to yeah. eventually post some pictures of uh, – I w- actually went down to Ohio's uh, little spot that he has over there at the games, and uh, yep. he's he's got a pretty good uh, spot down there. <laughs> My kid's got a picture with uh, Minnie Marino. We didn't nice. actually get a, get a picture with him because he's kind of uh, he's kind of busy, but, you know. <laughs> but, uh, he's kind of a busy Maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> so, all right, guys, um, thanks awesome. for having me. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for calling in. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. And uh, if anybody else listening, not that our live thread is hopping tonight, but if anybody else listening wants to call in, the number, as always, is 347-326-9461. I wanted to ask you, Chris, um, I got a question on Facebook a couple days ago about, obviously, the Dolphins need a over-the-top, going-to-break-it, go-deep, type of uh, wide receiver, and uh, who in the draft or in free agency is available that we could get. And my thoughts are, I absolutely love Tavon Austin, but he's five foot nine, so he's going to be a really small wide receiver. But I love that guy. Um, what do you know about uh, Patterson from Tennessee? Uh, Cordarell, Cord- something like that. Patterson yeah. from Tennessee. I have, the only the only thing that I've seen from him this season, and I don't I don't typically watch a lot of college football. Um, I watch you know App State, keep up with them, but as far as other games, I'm usually doing something or you know not keeping up with it. Right. And, and plus, you don't get the you know all twenty two with that stuff. So it's kind of hard to watch uh, receivers in college. But the only play that I remember seeing was against NC State, where he just absolutely streaked down the field and uh, went blew by David Anderson and scored a touchdown. Um, yeah. What I've read of him, he's got the size and the speed. He's 6'3". Um, 
which, you know, a lot of these college guys, you know, they always make them taller than what they really are or, or, or you know, they right. always beef up the numbers to make them look better. So he's probably in the 6'2 to 6'3 range. Um, what I've read, he's going to be in the 4'4 range. Uh, but but I've not seen anything about him. I've read that he's kind of um, he's a little raw in terms of, of, of route running, um, and so you know a lot of some some stuff I've read has said he's he's kind of a second round prospect, maybe a third round prospect, and I think Mel Kuyper has him as eleventh overall best player in the draft. So. I really don't know that much about him. The guy that I'm interested in in the draft, there's, there's three guys that, that I think we should take that if we have if we have the choice. And the first guy is Keenan Allen. Uh, uh-huh. I've watched a little bit of him. And, of course, I've started when I started trying to watch Cal games, he got hurt and didn't get a chance to watch him that much. But uh, from what I've seen, uh, some highlight reels, he is – he is a playmaker. He's the kind of guy that can go across the middle if the ball is thrown too high or behind him. He goes up there and gets it anyway. Um, he's got good quickness. Uh, I've seen his projected 40 time anywhere from 440 to 453. So I don't know what his overall straight line speed is, but the guy's a punt returner, so he's got to have some shiftiness and some quickness. Um, most right. of the things I've read about him say he's he's a good fit as a as a Z receiver in a West Coast offense. He's got the size where he can run across the middle, run the slant. He can catch the ball, make physical catches, get yards after the catch. He's the perfect guy for this offense. And he did just he, declare, he, didn't he? he? He's declared, so he's in the draft. Yeah. Um, now, Kuiper doesn't have him as the best wide receiver, but most other draft sites that you go to usually have him with as the best wide receiver, he's somewhere, he's anywhere in kind of the 10 to 25 range uh, type of guy. I mean, there's nobody in this draft, with the exception of the next guys I mentioned, Justin Hunter, that could be considered in that um, kind of Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, A.J. Green type. I mean, you, you don't have a guy like that that's just an all-inspiring, this wide receiver is going to uh, win me a championship type kind of receiver. But Justin Hunter is a big guy, 6'4", about 200 pounds. He's got good deep speed for a guy that size, probably a, a low 4'4". Um, he, he's had some knee injuries. He, he hurt his ACL, uh, so he's had to recover from that. He's the kind of guy that he compared himself to Randy Moss in terms of his athletic ability and skill set. So if you can add a guy like that to an offense, you got to, you know. Um but, again, he's one of those that's kind of the mid to late first-round picks, and I think his injury history is going to be a thing there. Uh, the other guy that I, I – Just real eye, quick, before you watched. before you jump over to your third prospect, I just posted a link in the live thread. So if you're listening to this after the show, you can find it in the live thread, and you might be interested in this, Duke. Um, SB Nation back in October actually did a article about Justin Hunter and Keenan Allen. So – it, it's comparing the two of them and looking at what they could bring to a team. So interesting that you picked those two because, yeah, there was just that article. So the link's and in the live thread. So And your third option. The third guy is the guy that's in my fig line, and that is DeAndre Hopkins. And I've watched him a couple of times. He's not he's not the dynamic wide receiver for Clinton. That is Sammy Watkins. And you can tell 
almost instantly the difference between the two. Sammy Watkins is is like lightning. The guy is just electric when he's on the field. But DeAndre Hopkins is is kind of your he, he he's a do it all receiver. He he can run the middle of the field. He's got good deep speed. He can just blow by people. He runs a good route. He he runs the same kind of route to Brian Hartline does. You know the little uh, comeback route from the sideline. Good hands. Um, he's been very reliable and it almost never failed. If you watch the the bottom line or whatever on ESPN this season, you see a college game, you'd see stats, you'd see. DeAndre Hopkins, you know, three catches, 34 yards. And the next time it went by, it said four catches, 100 yards, <laughs> and a touchdown. And you knew the guy to score a 70-yard touchdown. That's the kind of guy he was. He's a late first, early second round pick. And if we don't go wide receiver in the first round, then I'm going to be on pins and needles hoping that that's the guy we get. He's not as big as the other guys. He's closer to 6'1", but he's, he's still got good size, 6'1", 200 pounds. And you don't need these super big receivers in the West Coast offense. You just need, you know, he, he fits that mold of a smaller but still a good receiver. He can run just about any route, and he's got good speed. And I don't know that it's necessarily going to be like 4-2-something speed, but he's one of those guys that if he gets a step on, he, you know, what what is that phrase? If he's even, he's leaving. So he's, he's that kind of guy that, you, you know, he's not going to just blow you away like Ted Ginn with speed, but he's the kind of guy that if you don't respect it, then you're going to be watching the ball go over your shoulder and into the end zone. So uh, those are the three guys that Miami needs to get at least one of those three, if not two of them. Um, as far as free agency goes, it's going to be really tough. I'm not a fan of – I think Greg Jennings will be available, but I'm not a fan of signing him for this simple reason. He's going to want a lot of money, and he's in his 30s. So, you know, you're looking at a three-year, at most a four-year deal – uh, that's going to be a little bit on the higher end. And, you know, I, I think you can get a guy like if Mike Wallace is available, I think you can get him. He's younger. You can sign him for longer, which helps your cap space now. And he's not going to command as big of a deal. I don't think he's going to go out there and get a, you know, a Vincent Jackson type five-year, $55 million kind of deal. He's going to get a, you know, a five-year, you know, $45 million deal maybe, somewhere in that range. And, you know, to me, if you go in, and if you go in the first round and say get Keenan Allen, and then add you, you add Mike Wallace and Freitas and get Keenan Allen in the draft, you have you have a big receiver that makes plays, makes physical tough catches. That's going to be a good red zone threat. You've got a guy who is a a home run threat every time he touches the ball, every time he runs the route, and then you've got a guy like Devon Bass who's just going to with those guys on the field, it's going to eat everybody up on those little short little option routes in the middle, you know. And we just went from having one of the you know most lackluster offenses to having one of those offenses where you are you're you know you're scared they're going to put up thirty five forty points again. I'll, uh, I'll I'll bring James in on our next topic just because uh, it, it kind of goes right up your alley, James. This twelve 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 concert is awesome. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else is watching this, but I have it on, and Eric Clapton's just doing his thing with the guitar right now, and it, it doesn't get better than that. So I just thought I'd share that. The HBO's airing the twelve 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 concert to support uh, Sandy Relief right now. So no, I canceled. I canceled my HBO after. Uh... 
after Hard, Hard Knocks. Knocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever watch it otherwise. But yeah, I I I just I didn't even know they were doing the twelve 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 concert. But apparently it's all over Twitter that they are. But um, no, I just uh, happened to be flipping channels and saw this. Um, looks like the Stones are coming up next, and then Alicia Keys. And the wait a who. minute, the st- Alicia the Stones come on before Alicia Keys. That doesn't make any yes. sense. Billy Joel is still to come too. That isn't now. Um, now, now you're blowing my mind. Dave Grohl, yeah. Paul McCartney, they're all still to come. See, don't the Stones or, or McCartney have to be, or maybe um, Bruce Springsteen have to be the headliner, and all those other people come first? I'm just you saying. would think so, but I think actually, uh, from what I have seen on Twitter, it's Billy Joel that's actually the headliner. So I don't know if he set it up. Bon Jovi was there, and apparently it wasn't pretty when Bon Jovi was on. But, and I think that's Chelsea yeah. Clinton talking right now. It looks like Chelsea Clinton. But okay, yeah, that's a smart kid. I am a So uh, switching back, let's go ahead and uh, talk James real quick. Uh, we'll we'll bring this up because you brought it up in the behind the scenes little chat thing we had going on there. Um, the, uh, the Texas tech red Raiders announced today that Cliff Kingsbury is their new head coach moving over from being the offensive coordinator over at Texas A&M, obviously getting, uh, Johnny football, Johnny Manziel, the Heisman this year. So he's moving over to Texas tech to become the head coach over there. And he was in the NFL just, what three years ago, four years ago now I yep. guess because this is yep. oh, four years twelve so four years ago, four seasons ago yeah, so, yeah so and he spent an entire season just as a quality control coach so he's really only been coaching all of three years yep of, you know actual coaching so I think it's a good move for Texas Tech brings brings back a Texas Tech guy um, hopefully they can finally get past the Mike Leach firing and uh they can move yeah, on from that, that cuz they that never was, got behind the biggest, Superville. That was the biggest debate. That was the biggest I the way they handled it was possibly the biggest mistake I've ever seen by a university. Yeah. Outside of Penn State, of course. But I mean Kingsbury is I mean, he coached um at Houston with Case Keenum. Now he coached at Texas A&M with Johnny Manziel. So Texas Tech is going to have a wide-open offense. Well, he's, he's you know, he, he comes from Leach, you know. he Leach, yeah. Leach coached him, so and Leach has got the craziest, most wide-open offense that there is. So, yeah. you know, Mike, Mike Leach's specialty was never punting. I mean, he didn't care where – it didn't matter if he was on his own 30. He just kept kept throwing. He didn't care. Oh. It was crazy. Kingsbury's from uh, New, Brunf- New Brunfels. Didn't know Brothels. that. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's a terrible right Texas. By me. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Florida. I'm not from Texas. I, I am too, but I, at least I can pronounce <laughs> New Brunfels. I'm, I'm from Florida. I'm not from Texas. I have Florida license enough, plates man. on my car. Do you really? I do. I have Florida license plates on my car. All right. But 
Um, Jason Scott apparently still listening to the show, at least. Um, he may be the only person listening to the show today, but he's tw- he's tweeting. He's uh, posting in the live thread. Uh, he's a good loyal listener, caller. Yes. Um, he, he agrees with you, Duke, to get uh, to get Mike Wallace. I, I don't know what it is about Mike Wallace. I just don't want him. I don't know why. I, I really don't. I have no reason why I don't want us to sign him, but I don't. Um, I think they do go after Jennings just because of the Green Bay connection. Obviously, we said that about Matt Flynn, and we saw how that went. So it could be way off, and he could uh, – Joe Philbin could absolutely 100% not want to go after him. Um, I think the only other guy – the way I see it is they go after Jennings. I could see them make a play for Dwayne Bowe, but I don't think they will. Um, the guy that would be really, really interesting is who uh, Jason Scott brings up, and you immediately dismissed Earl, is Welker. <laughs> Wes Welker should be a free agent this year. Um, I, even though he's old now, I still would not mind bringing him back to Miami. But uh, I, I think uh, – I think that the, the the Dolphins end up probably going after Jennings and Bo is the way I see it. Um, one, probably not both, but one or the other of those. If Mike Wallace came down to Miami, I'm not going to complain about it at all. But I just – I don't know. Something about him just rubs me the wrong way. Well, I think the thing about Wallace that well, – number one, he's had some drop issues this year. And – Number two, he's not a game-changing receiver in the sense of a guy like Calvin Johnson as a game-changing receiver. Um, I mean, I had Mike Wallace on my fantasy team, and he completely disappeared when Charlie Batch was in there and whenever Byron Leftwich was in there. Um, And then, of course, he showed back up this week when Roethlisberger was in there. So, you know, a guy like that... You know, I don't care who's the quarterback, and you know, unless you're, you know, John Skelton or Ryan Lindley. You know, if you have a, a guy and he lead wide receiver, he's going to catch a decent quarterback. He's going to catch most stuff that gets thrown his way. He's not going to struggle like that. Um, and so I think that I think that's going to hurt Wallace and his his negotiations to get a big contract. Because people are going to say, well, you know what? You know, if you're coming to Miami, you're going to be playing with a second-year quarterback. He's, you know, right now he's not as good as Big Ben. You know, are you going to disappear in games like that? Um, but what he offers, and, and and my my thing is with him is he is a an absolutely elite number two wide receiver. I mean, he's not a big guy. He's not going to run those crossing routes across the middle and, and, and you know get blown up by safety. That's not what he does. He he'll run some drag routes. Things like that. But he's not a guy that you're going to send in and expect us to go across the middle and jump up and catch catch the pass. But you throw him over there with a guy like, you know, let's just go to the free agent route. Let's say you sign him and Dwayne Bow. All right, he's the guy like him. It's going to open up the middle of the field because one, Dwayne Bow can go and make those catches. They go in his way, but they've got to also respect his Wallace speed so much. Right. And so I think that's why. I think that's why Miami, I think Miami should be interested in Wallace is simply just to get the speed. I mean, even if you add, I mean, he doesn't feel all the needs you hit need wide receiver, but you get him and add him with what we currently have. I mean, that just 
that makes their offense that much more explosive because people have to respect that speed. And so, I mean, if we go out and get guys that are, you know, a bunch of, a bunch more guys like Marshall, as good as Marshall is, you know, we still don't have a lot of speed. Now, they respect him because he's physical and he's got good size uh, and, and, and can, you know, he's going to be open whether he's covered or not. But, you know, I think a guy like Wallace isn't like that. He's not always open because, you know, somebody might be able to cover him. But he's a guy that, you know, that, that's that speed I offer so much. And so if I'm, you know, and that's what my my dissertation of a post is about, is what Miami should do in this off season. And one of the reasons that I'm going for him is simply because he's not going to command a $10 million a year contract. He's not that kind of receiver. He's going to get a, you know, at best an $8 million a year contract, which doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, that $2 million finds you, you know, you know, a, a guard or some other position of need. So he's a guy that you can spend less on, but you give your team something that you really need, and then you go go at it in the draft. And because, you know, he and Bess are proven receivers, you've got two guys on the offense that you know have, you know, NFL production that are going to produce. And you can throw this rookie over here, and if he doesn't pan out, well, you know, you still got a couple guys. If he does pan out, then you've got an elite offense. So that's my take on Wallace. Is, you know, a guy like Jennings is going to be a number one. A guy like Bo is going to be a number one. I don't think Wallace is a number one. I think he's a number two. And so, you know, I think I think Miami should approach him that way. If they go in thinking he's a number one and try to overpay him, then I think we're making a mistake there. So I can kind of feel what you're getting at with the whole being iffy on Wallace. Yeah, I like like I said, if if they get him, I'm not up, I'm not against it. But if I were making the choice, I don't, I don't know what it is. I would just he wouldn't be the guy I would uh, sign. But I did want to. The other thing I wanted to bring up was Tannehill's development and. It's been an interesting discussion around the site, around the internet lately, because everybody keeps looking at Andrew Luck, looking at RG3, and now looking at um, Russell Wilson and saying that, oh, they that's the next great quarterback, the next group of great quarterbacks. And then they also add in, oh, and there's Ryan Tannehill. And it's starting to – I think it's really starting to bother Dolphins fans that this is what's happening. And people are actually starting to say the Dolphins have missed on Tannehill. And I've seen it – I was talking to James earlier. Somebody on Facebook was talking about how we should have traded up to get RG3 and that he could see it that Tannehill was going to be a bust. And now – I wanted to say McShay, that's wrong, Schefter. Adam Schefter came out and posted, or said on the radio, that's what it was, he said on the radio, that um, he's not sure Tannehill's, or that the Dolphins have found their franchise quarterback, because while those other quarterbacks, those other rookies, are taking that next step forward, Tannehill isn't. And I look at all this, and I say that's great, but who do they have as wide receivers? Who do we have as wide receivers? We don't have the weaponry of any of those other teams right now. And you can go and make the argument that that's Jeff Ireland's fault. And if you want to make that argument, I can't fault you on that. 
I look at it like, you know what? Um, obviously, Joe Philbin wanted to get rid of Brandon Marshall. He wanted to get rid of um, Chad Johnson. He wanted to get rid of these guys. So I can't fault Jeff Ireland for doing what Joe Philbin wanted. But you can't then turn around and say Tannehill's a bust because those other quarterbacks are doing better when those other quarterbacks have the weaponry. If you brought RG3 down to Miami, which this is the part that James and I were talking about earlier, think about the cost that would have been. Because not only would we have we, – we would have RG3 over Tannehill right now. We wouldn't have Jonathan Martin because – the Redskins traded that second-round pick to the Rams. So we wouldn't have Jonathan Martin. So when Jake Long went down, who's playing left tackle? Then you're not going to have a first-round pick next year. You're not going to have a first-round pick in 2014. And because the Redskins were ready to go into a bidding war, we probably would have lost the 2015 first-round pick too. So you bring RG3 in. And we still don't have any weapons around him. So would he develop? Or would he simply be running for his life all the time because Jake Long's out, we have no Jonathan Martin, and he has no receivers to throw to? So is it really Ryan Tannehill's not developing? Or is it he's hit as far as he can go right now until our receivers start to play better? And, and you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna see Adam Schefter, and I'm gonna raise my Mike Mayock. Um, <laughs> first of all, I, I I read that, and the first thought the first thought that actually went through my mind was, we just got Schefter. Um, <laughs> so and, and so, but I, you know, I saw that, and then I read this what Mayock says. And of, of most football draft analysts, I trust him the most. He's not always yeah. right, but he usually is pretty dead on. And, I mean, he says it on that on that that, that uh, Miami, says Miami Dolphins uh, talking point. I'm glad it's close because I, I really think this kid's got a bright future. Uh, he says I think it's hard for Miami fans to say be patient. Um, you know, he says basically he says the problem is the Dolphins are too slow on offense. And and really, if Brian Hartline was a half a second faster than what he is right now, we're not having this discussion. He's got eight touchdowns and you know he's already over a thousand yards and what. Wow, you know, we're going somewhere. But the fact is, we're just not fast enough on offense, and it's it's limiting what Tannehill can do. And I was talking with uh, I was talking with with Bruce last night on another post, and and he he was and he he admitted he wasn't a fan of Tannehill, and he was a big fan of Kaepernick from last year. And and I told him I said, well, here's the problem though, if you brought Kaepernick in. The pressure for him to start last year would have been so great that there, he, he said we would have been, he, we would have sat him and developed him. I said no, we wouldn't have. I said because we're Miami Dolphins fan. The first yeah. time Chad Henney throws an interception or gets sacked or anything, we're going to say put in Kaepernick, put in Kaepernick right now, put him in. Yep. And the pressure would have mounted on Sperano, you know, after every interception, after every bad throw, after every loss. You know, there's no way we'd start 0-7 last year and Kaepernick still sitting on the bench. It's not going to happen. Then what I said to him was, but Kaepernick would have still had to come in and had immediate success because Absolutely. we would have had to trade up to get him in the second round. So instead of saying, all right, we know he's out, we're bringing this guy, he's a little raw, 
He's going to take some time to develop, so we should be patient with him. No, the first time Kaepernick comes in there and throws a three-interception game, then people are going to say, oh, this guy's a bust. He's terrible. Because that's just how, that's just how this fan base is. And they we've already seen that this year. We've seen that this year with people calling for Matt Moore. Yeah, they did that. They did that for the first game against a team that many, everybody on this side is about picked to go to the Super Bowl. Yep. So, you know, we're playing against a Super Bowl caliber team. We're actually hanging with them until a couple of free, you know, tip balls, interceptions, game gets out of hand, and everybody's like, "Oh, this sucks. Put in Matt Moore. Put in Matt Moore." You know. That would have lasted until Matt Moore had a three-interception game. And, oh, we're, we suck at quarterback. We're going to have to draft one. I saw a guy on the Daily Dolphin in the comment. His comment was, we need to draft a wide receiver every year until we get it right. Or not yep. a wide receiver, a quarterback. A quarterback. Oh, yeah. Here's the problem. If you draft a quarterback every year, you're never going to get it right. Because, you know, maybe a guy like RG3 comes in there and dominates and you found it. But maybe you got a guy like Drew Brees. I mean – that guy would have thrown away Drew Brees because Drew Brees didn't blow it up in his first year. Peyton yep. Manning didn't really blow it up in his first year. So, I mean, we've got all these people that just want, as the quote I used last night uh, from Ocean's 13, they just want the baby. They don't want the labor pains. They yep. just want this instant success. They want Tannehill to come in, throw for 400 yards, five touchdowns every game, go 16-0 and win the Super Bowl. When it doesn't happen, instead of saying, all right, you know, we've got some issues, this is going to take a few years, you know. They, yeah. they just freak out because, and, and, and what makes it worse is they're seeing these other guys, and they're, these other guys are having success, and Miami is, and that, that just kind of you know, adds fuel to that fire. Yep. So, and 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 I understand. I, I see how you know people get upset over the Brandon Marshall trade. You're giving away somebody and didn't get anybody to replace him, but. I can also see why Fielder wanted to do it and, and things like that. But and the other argument that I see that I really disagree with is the fact they say we this we're not rebuilding. We're, we've been rebuilding for the last five years or last ten years. And and it's like you said, and I, I wrecked your the quote that you put in there. Said anytime you get a new coach and a new quarterback, that's a new rebuild. You don't. We haven't been rebuilding from 2008. You know, yeah. in one single. It's been. That started with Sperano and Henny. That was part of that rebuild. When that failed, we brought in Philbin and Tannehill. That starts a new era. Yep. It's not when a continuation of what happened then. The only the only part that is still there is Ireland, and I think that's the only connection they're making. They're like, well, Ireland was there in 2008, and he's tried to build this thing to a winner, and you know he's not done it by now. He's not ever going to. Well, maybe he would have. I mean, he brought in Marshall, brought in Dansby. He brought in some good pieces. If Tannehill had been a franchise quarterback, he would still be here. So it's Brahma. We'd be in the playoffs. Yep. I mean, that team was built to win in 2010. That's when they were built to contend, 2010, 2011. It didn't happen because Sperano and Heaney failed. Now we're starting out. And just yep. like that time, we're going to build from 2012 to the point where by 2014 we should be – Contending for the playoffs, we should be, you know, taking taking the division over from the Patriots at that point. If we're not, and fine, get rid of Ireland, get rid of Tennessee. This, this is the way I look at it. I look at it like this, and I don't know if you were on when I was talking to James about this, but the way I look at it is, if you are the manager of a restaurant, and that restaurant is a 
pick any type of food. It's a hamburger place, okay? And you are buying all the things to make it a successful hamburger place. You're going to have the greatest hamburgers known to man. And then after two years of building up your clientele, building up your product, building up all that stuff, your owner comes in and goes, you know what? We're an Italian restaurant now. Is it your fault that you bought all the stuff for the hamburger place? Because you were building what you thought your restaurant was going to be. And now suddenly you're thrown in at an a, a Italian place, and you have to start, okay, I can use some of this ground beef to make meatballs, but I can't use the buns for anything, so I need to get rid of the buns, and you're, you're doing that. That's pretty much what just happened to Jeff Ireland. He was building a power running team. The coach failed. The owner said, cut the coach, get, a, get me a new coach. We got the new coach. It's a completely different system, so some parts are those hamburger buns, and under Joe Philbin, Brandon Marshall was that hamburger bun. Uh, Chad Johnson was that hamburger bun. Vontae Davis was that hamburger bun. It had to go. Now, he has bits and pieces still. He has the ground beef that he can make into meatballs, and maybe they're going to be super special meatballs. That can be Reggie Bush, but he has to now take what he can remold it into this new piece and start adding other parts to it to build that Italian restaurant now. And that's that's how I look at this. And I know there are people out there that absolutely 100% hate Ireland and want him fired. And from the beginning, I've said this and I still say it today. If Stephen Ross today said, Jeff, you're out. Thanks for your services. See you later. I'm going to say, okay. I can understand it. But if Stephen Ross says, Jeff Ireland, you're going to be my GM from now until eternity, okay, I can understand it too. I'm I'm I, I'm completely neutral on how I feel about firing him. I play the devil's advocate a lot on the site and I do it on purpose because one, it starts to build some discussion, and two, because the Fire Ireland side gets so worked up and gets so loud that nobody says anything on the keep Ireland side. So I say keep Ireland quotes and I say things on the site specifically to keep the debate going, keep the discussion going, and because there are a lot of fans out there that support Ireland and maybe not support him specifically, but support the GM of their favorite team because he is the GM of their favorite team. Just like there were people that didn't like Tony Sperano but supported him because he was the head coach of their favorite team. So if, I, if I'm the one that jumps out and says something, I don't care. People can call me zombies. I've been called a zombie. I've been called a Ireland hater. I don't really care one way or the other. Um, but the fact that as soon as I said that, my comment immediately turned green because there are other people out there that won't say anything – because the Ireland side is so – or the fire Ireland side is so loud and boisterous, and it's not everybody. I know that there are people that want Ireland fired, but they are not out there to personally attack people on our site, but there are people that are like that. And today on Twitter, I had a guy that tweeted out all, all about how I'm 
talking about how great Ireland is and uh let's see uh come on did did you know that he wasn't really the GM until 2010 so it's not all his fault at all which I didn't say he wasn't the GM until 2010 but I did say that Parcells was a big part of why we built the way we did and there are absolutely 100% irrefutable evidence of times where Parcells said no we're doing this and even if you're the general manager of a football team, your boss says, no, we're doing this. You're doing that. It doesn't matter what your title was. Your title could have been assistant to the general manager. It doesn't really matter. It, your boss says, we're doing this, you're doing that. So that's that part. Plus, it's a different scheme. So that's why the players don't fit well because they were awesome the last two years. They were awesome the last two years in parts. Not all the parts fit, specifically the quarterback position, which goes back to what you said, Chris, that Tannehill – or not Tannehill, Henny and um, Sperano failed. That defense was amazing. That defense was great. That defense still is great. The problem that it had last year, and it's the problem we're starting to see again this year. They're exhausted. They are on the field so much because we can't sustain a drive yet. And we're better at it this year than we were last year. We will get better once we have the wide receivers in place. But you're not going to see this team suddenly dominate people. But they're not a horrible team either. And that's where people get lost is that they see – eight losses, and they automatically assume this team sucks. It doesn't. It's just not a top-level team yet either. And then the last tweet out was, also fans who want a new GM just want change for change's sake. Just look at how awesome the Dolphins finished in 12. Well, I, 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 okay. I have said there are people that want change just for change's sake. I did not specifically say it about the GM, maybe I did in a statement. I, I fully, I fully and utterly believe there are Dolphins fans that want change for change's sake, and I think we discussed that already with the quarterback situation. As soon as somebody throws an interception, we're immediately looking for that next player. We're immediately looking. You know what? Matt Moore would do better than Ryan Taylor. You know what? Matt Moore would be better than Chad Henney. Chad Henney would be better than Chad Pennington. Chad Pennington would be better than whoever was right before Chad Pennington. We're always looking for that next quarterback because we have to have immediate change. And so I do believe this Dolphins fan base likes change for change's sake. And again, it's not everybody. There are plenty, plenty of people out there that want to see – this team develop as a team. Keep the offensive coordinator, even though we disagree with how Mike Sherman's doing it right now. Keep the head coach. Keep the quarterback. Keep the general manager, because stability is an important part of this. Now, at some point, you have to just say it doesn't work and fire it. That doesn't happen after one year. That doesn't happen after 12 weeks into one year or 13 weeks into one year. You have to give it time to develop. But at the same time, 
change for change's sake doesn't happen with the GM right now because the GM has been here for a few years. If you want to say, I disagree with him because of this or this or this, great. But don't immediately start calling people zombies because they have a differing opinion from you, especially when the point that started all of these discussions and these tweets that came out about me and all these things and this whole discussion on the site that we have right now going on is uh, um, (laughs) – thanks, James. I just read your quote or your uh, post on the live thread. Wait, zombies are driving tanks now? (laughs) We're so screwed. Yeah, but um, no, in the fan post, this whole whole debate started in the fan posts because um, it's the they would have you believe post that it was posted two days ago by Daniel Suarez, and it has 183 comments, and it's a great discussion. My biggest point was his his post says that they will have you believe that Sean Smith is a pro bowler. They will have you believe that you have to have a left tackle to be a cornerstone of your offense. They'll have you believe that Reggie Bush is a legitimate running back. They will have you believe that Ryan Tannehill will be a legitimate quarterback in the NFL. And he talks about why they will have you believe these things. And then he ends it with Fire Island now. But it's like we attacked four of the big names. We attacked Ryan Tannehill, who has had 13 starts in the NFL. We attacked Reggie Bush, who is coming off a 1,000-yard season, averaged five yards per carry during that 1,000-yard season, the most of any running back that reached a thousand yards last year is on pace to come up at, I think it's nine seventy three before last game. I don't know what it is now. Cause he's at, he was, he only got 60 some odd last game, but he was at nine seventy three. So he's just short of a thousand yards again this year. Jake Long. And he's playing the Jacksonville Jaguars who are yes. like 30th so in the league. So rushing defense. He should be able to jump up. Yeah. Jake Long has four pro bowls. Okay. And you can say that Jake Long does not need to be on this team. I understand that. But you can never argue that left tackle is, an, is not an important part of the NFL. You can say that you don't need to have the highest paid left tackle in the league. Okay, I can understand your opinion. But left tackle, if you don't have a left tackle that can perform, you're going to have a guy who's going to kill your quarterback at some point. You're going to have Michael Vick out there running for his life every single play and you you have to have a left tackle and then sean smith they'll have you believe that sean smith is a pro bowl talent i like personally i like sean smith i know it's not the uh the um majority right now i know keith and i had a discussion about this the other day on facebook he absolutely thinks sean smith has uh regressed back into garbage and that's okay. I can understand that. I like Sean Smith. I don't think that I think that we need somebody else. I don't think he is a shutdown corner. I think he is a great complimentary number two corner. And I think that if he could figure out how to hold on to a ball, he could actually become a pro bowler. I don't think he's a pro bowler now. I think he has moments that could be pro bowl talent moments, but he also has the exact opposite where you're sitting there going, what did you just do? So 
my my point is I don't even know where my point went anymore because I started off on this on Jeff Ireland and somehow ended up on Sean Smith. But my my uh, my point is don't immediately think that we have to have change just for change's sake, and don't immediately think that change will do anything to help us either. Give this team time to develop. I know Jeff Ireland has been here for years. I got it. I know that you guys out there, and it's not everybody, but I know that there are a lot of people out there that hate Jeff Ireland. But this team, as Duke said a little while ago, has entered a new era in a rebuild. We have a new head coach. We have a new quarterback. That is the start of another rebuild. If you don't believe Jeff Ireland can direct that rebuild, that's great. But at the same time, he's the guy that's going to do it. How loud you stand up in the stands and yell, fire Jeff Ireland, or how many times you walk up to Jeff Ireland and tell him he should fire himself, or how many banners you fly over the stadium, isn't going to change how um, – why did I just uh, – Stephen Ross. I just blanked on our owner's name. Um, <laughs> it's not going to change how Stephen Ross thinks of Jeff Ireland. So while you can sit here – and say, I think Jeff Ireland should be fired, don't immediately attack people who say that he needs to stay. Because all that's doing is devolving our fan base. It's doing nothing for the team. It's turning our fan base against itself. And what does that do for us? If you want to argue the points that, um, hey, he drafted Pat White. And I can turn around and say he traded for Reggie Bush. And you can turn around and say that he drafted Chad Henney. And I can turn around and say he drafted Ryan Tannehill. That debate is perfectly fine. I No issues with that debate. But the point where you call this guy a zombie, that's over the line. And that's where I get frustrated. And just because somebody throws a counter opinion to yours does not mean that they are wrong and you are right. It also does not mean that they are right and you are wrong. That's part of our fan base. That's why our community is so good, because we can have these debates. And I have no idea how long that rant just was, but I feel a lot better now. I'm clapping on the inside. Um, <laughs> I don't want to wake up the youngin. Um, but I agree, and, and I'm going to jump out on my little tangent here. I agree that but that's kind of endemic of our entire society at this point. Uh, when you look at the blogosphere and how people interact on the Internet, it's basically like, all right, let's say I write a post tomorrow. Well, I'm going to use my post about Devon Bass. Okay. I said they could, the Dolphins could trade Devon Bass. Does that, it doesn't mean that I'm right or I'm wrong, but there are people out there who would that would write a post like that or something and they might say, if you disagreed with that, they take it personally that you disagreed with what they said. They feel not necessarily so strongly about what they said, but the fact that you just disagreed with them, it, it, take, it hits them personally. And I think a lot of these people, they're just, it, it all comes down to, you know, they say that winning cures everything. It's just that Miami hasn't won. They've just they've been mediocre for years and years, and it's just waiting on the fan base, and they have to take it out on somebody. And it turns to players, 
it turns to coaches, it turns to the general manager, the owner, and when that doesn't work, it turns to the fans. You know, if you if you say, hey, you know what, I believe in what they're doing, those fans that are just so frustrated they can't take it anymore, they just unleash on you because they think that, you know, they'll say you support mediocrity, that you, you know, that you are, uh, you know, they just overreact to that. They just say that you, that you don't know what you're talking about. And the one that always gets me is how, you know, you get a lot of the negative people, and they're always like, uh, I'm not being negative, I'm being realistic, as if negativity is the only realistic thing. And I honestly believe if the Dolphins went 16-0 next year, averaged 50 points a game, won the Super Bowl, shut everybody out, won every game 50 to nothing, there would be at least three or four people that would come on the side and like, well, I don't know about this guy, and I don't know about this. You know, I think you know this is there's a problem here and there, just because that's the type of people where they are. I mean, you deal with people like that in every everyday life. You go somewhere, and you know, you might be, you know, skipping down the street whistling, and you just meet that Eeyore type person, and they're just like, I don't know, man, everything just sucks, and then it just kind of drags you down. And there's people like that. It just seems like there's a lot more on with the dolphins. But Absolutely. that's what you're talking about with some of the players. I'm, I'm going to jump in on Sean Smith for a minute. Sean Smith is is a nom de type player. He is a press man corner, and that's it. If you play when nom de was in was in Oakland, he played press man all the time. They stuck him on the outside. He never played slot. Never moved around. They stuck him on one side, and he dominated that one side. That is Sean Smith. If Sean Smith is going up against a guy, and you can even move him around, but if he is going up against a guy and he can play press man court and play press man coverage on them, like for example that fourth down call against the 49ers that was a very highly questionable pass interference call, he knocked the ball away. They call penalty. That it is what it is. But that's the type of thing he wants. You know what he doesn't do is play off man coverage. He's six three. Uh, I don't know what he weighs, but he's 6'3", and a big, tall, lanky guy like that usually does not have the footwork to move around in zone. He doesn't have the, he doesn't have the footwork and the quickness in his feet to be able to, when a guy like Welker or like, you know, Crabtree or some of those guys catch those little screen passes and all of a sudden it's him in space, he gets beat like that because his size works against him. Where it works for for him is if he's going up against Crabtree and he's able to press him, his size and strength will dominate that receiver and he'll shut him down. But the problem is we're so weak all over the secondary that we have to resort to playing some zone at times. And when you do, Sean Smith is going to look bad. So I think a lot of these people just don't realize that. It's like, look, if we could just let Sean Smith play press man coverage on whoever he's guarding every time he's going to play him, He's going to look like a Pro Bowl cornerback. If you have to drop him back and play his own coverage against the guy, he's not going to look good at all because that's not what he does. And ultimately, I think that's what's going to cost him his his spot here in, in, in Miami. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to get the franchise tag this season, and I think that they're going to give him a one year trial. They're going to bring in some other people, and if he can't cut it, if he keeps doing what he's doing, like I said, if they run nothing but press man, he's going to do great. If they have to do other coverages. He's going to struggle. He's going to be out the door. And, you know, he's going to go to a place that plays that, and he's going to dominate. And, of course, the fans are going to say, see, we let him go, and now he's dominating. Why do we let him go? Because that's who we are. But I think that's the problem with Sean Smith. 
<laughs> sorry, I just read your comment from Jason Scott, the question of if we do get rid of Ireland, who is the GM that is killing in the draft that is sitting out there available to bring in? And your answer was a mutated hybrid of Belichick and all the GMs of all the successful teams. <laughs> that's a good comment. Sorry. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what fans want. But, you know, and, and I think it goes back to a couple things. One thing I brought up, I told Jackson Scott I was going to bring it up, is a lot of people don't realize that coaches have a say-so in who gets drafted and who gets picked. I mean, if Joe Philbin comes out there and says, look, I need a, I need a slot receiver that's 5'10", 180 pounds, and Jeff Allen comes back with a guy that's 6'4", 250, Allen's going to what are you doing? It's yep. not going to, he can't use a guy like that. So the coaches help, help the GM find players. Now, it's up to the GM ultimately. And, I, you know, I, me and CT and I don't always get along or don't always agree. I don't have anything against him, so I won't say we don't get along, but we don't always agree with things, but I, I agree with one thing that he said. Talent is, talent is, is, is um, overrules scheme. A, a good, talented player. Look, I, you know, Calvin Johnson may not be a perfect fit in a West Coast offense, but he's Calvin Johnson. He's going to fit anywhere he goes. So talent is going to overrule scheme. And I agree. We just have a lack of, ta- a lack of talent in some positions. But at the same time, your coach is sitting there. It goes back to what the coach is saying. The coach is saying, I want guys like this. So I don't go out and getting guys like that. And one guy that always seems to get off the hook in these arguments, we talk about Parcells. We talk about Ireland. We never talk about Sperano. I mean, look at the fabulous job he's doing in New York this year. Yeah. I mean, you sit here and think to himself, I, I, I guarantee it wasn't. Tony Sperano says, I need a right tackle. And Jeff Allen's like, um, okay, I'll just get Colombo. No. I bet Sperano and him said, you know what? I'm used to Colombo. I know what he can do. I think you should bring him in. Let's talk to him. And they go out and yep. find him. Now, that doesn't mean that the coach has the final say-so, but he has a lot of input on the type of players he wants. You know, it goes yeah, like that old exactly. quote about Absolutely. You know, if he's going to make dinner, let him pick some groceries. You know, it doesn't mean the coach makes all the picks, but he has a lot of say-so in, you know, what he wants done. And like you're saying, so I own, you know, Sperano was running the hamburger stand, and then Philbin comes in and says, no, I want to make the Italian restaurant. And so we've got all this hamburger stuff, and you're like, all right, um, okay, well, I can't use this, and I can't use this, so I've got to find some new stuff. The problem is with the fans is they want that done immediately. They right. can't. They don't. They don't want to wait three years for the for it to, to culminate. And the one final thing about that is that it, all GMs, coaches, all of that, the success, their success, and what they do is tied to the quarterback position. I don't care how many great skill players Green Bay's got. They've got Randall Cobb, James Jones. It's like they're they're they've got you know receivers falling out of the woodwork. And people are like, oh, that guy's awesome. He's a great GM. That's the guy we need. But if that guy came in here and didn't pick the right quarterback, he's going to get fired. Yep. Because that's what happens. It's all about the quarterback. It's not about receivers or pass rushers or any other position, left tackles, whatever. It's about the quarterback. And if I if Tannehill becomes a franchise quarterback, if he can take the team to the playoff, win a championship, win you know win playoff games, if he can do that, nobody will give a, a crap about Jeff Allen anymore. Nope. They they they'll never admit they were wrong, but they won't care anymore. The only problem is that they're not winning right now, 
the island becomes a scapegoat. If Tannehill explodes out of the gate next year, has three or four games where he has four touchdowns a game, and all of a sudden he looks like a, a pro bowler, you're not going to hear, we need to fire Ireland because, um, I don't know, our long snapper is not good anymore. No, you're not going to hear that. It's all about the quarterback. So, you know, if Tannehill doesn't work, well, then these Ireland haters are going to get their they're going to get their wish. Ireland's going to be gone. Yep. He doesn't survive if Tannehill doesn't make it. If Tannehill makes it, he becomes a franchise quarterback. You know, and I think Ireland that's key right there. Because I think that's key right there is everything revolves around the quarterback position. And yes, Jeff Ireland was the general manager for the Chad Henney pick, but that was not a Jeff Ireland pick. That was absolutely a Bill Parcells pick. Bill Parcells that first year, I I don't know who will argue it, but that was a hundred percent a Jeff I, or a uh, Bill Parcells um, draft. And I do know who will argue that, but I won't say. <laughs> but um, that Chad Henney pick doesn't. That's not Jeff Ireland's quarterback. Now he has picked his quarterback, and if this quarterback fails, then Jeff Ireland will move on, and he'll go be somebody's assistant general manager, or he'll go be a scout again, and he'll work his way back up. Because there are a lot of people out there in the NFL that have said, Jeff Ireland is a good executive. He is a good general manager. Players don't seem to like him, but should players really like a general manager? I'm not sure they should. Now, they have to be able to get along with him, sure, because ultimately it's a personality thing and it's a person thing to attract a general manager in. But it's not like the general manager is sitting there every day talking to the players. The coach is talking to the players every day. The general manager has to be the guy going, we will give you this amount of money, and then talking to the cat person and going, hey, make this work somehow. So Yeah, and, and, and so – and to give a little perspective on that, go back to go back to hard go back to hard knocks when they talked about the Bonte Davis trade. Did Jeff Ireland go in his office and say, "You know what? I think I can get something good for Vonte Davis." He, you know, he's a starting corner. I don't care about that. I can get a good pick out of him. No. What did he do? He fielded a call about a trade. The first person he went and talked to, he said he went to Philbin and asked him, he says, "Is he part of the plan? Do you want to keep him?" Yep. He asked the coach, and the coach says, uh, you know, I basically said we can do without him. So Jeff Allen made the deal. He's like, the coach doesn't want the guy. I've got a guy offering me a second-round pick, which thanks to Cleveland and New Orleans, we're going to get a, you know, we're going to have three picks in the top 62 picks. Because the coach said, I don't want Vontae Davis on my team. And so, the, you know, I mean, it would be different if there wasn't any. Uh, calls for him, but he filled a call and he asked the coach. He said, "You know, what do you think?" And the coach gave him his opinion, and Jeff Allen made the move. Nobody's bashing yeah. Philbin for that. Allen uh, gets all the crap for that. But the point is, Allen went to the coach and said, "You know, if you want to keep this guy, I'll keep him. If you don't, I'll make this trade." And he made the trade. But nobody sees that part of it, even though we saw that with our own two eyes on Hard Knocks. This is not some you know yep. unnamed source that a Mark Kelly tweet. This is. I saw it. I saw it happen. So, why, why doesn't that get brought into brought into the discussion? You know, people say, "Oh, he got rid of our starting corner. Vontae Davis is great, and Ireland's stupid for getting in." No, 
if, if, if anybody was stupid, it was the coach because it was his call. But nobody wants to believe that because it takes away from their argument about getting rid of Ireland, and they're just not willing to make that make that choice. Jason Scott had a great uh, comment just now that people don't like Belichick, yet players keep going to New England. And, I mean, it's a valid point. You don't have to like the guy. You have to like winning. And the Dolphins obviously aren't proving they can win yet. Give them a couple years, and we'll see what happens. And I, I believe Tannehill is the right guy. Um, I, I like what he does. I, I fell in love with Henny back in the day, and I was burned, and all of us were. So, I mean, is it possible that Tannehill's going to fail? Absolutely it's possible. But it's also possible that Andrew Luck could fail. It's possible that RG3 could fail. It's possible that any of these guys could fail because they've shown it for 13 games. That's it. And if they fail, then you make changes then. But right now, you have to absolutely hang on for the ride and see where it goes. But, James, I know you uh, you, you were uh, away for a little while there. Um, did you get to hear my rant? Oh, yeah. Okay. I had you on speakerphone. I was just – I didn't think anybody wanted to listen to my, you know <laughs> – Partaking of food, so <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, I I did not plan to go on a rant, but apparently I did. So uh, that was a fun moment. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll pick up some uh, listens because I think I really think Jason Scott's the only one listening to us right now. So <laughs> Jason, thank you for listening and uh, putting up with my rant, but <laughs> it's. Everybody else, as you listen to this later on, remember, you can always call in the show at 347-326-9461. That's 347-326-9461. And prevent me from going on rants like that. (laughs) (laughs) But we're right at the 90-minute mark right now. So uh, I'll go ahead and send it around. You guys have anything else you want to bring up? James, I'll let you go first because I know Chris is probably going to have something. (laughs) No, man. I'm just – I'm ready to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sorry that the podcast is keeping you up past 930. Uh, It's been 16-hour days for so long I can't even remember. (laughs) Okay, Chris, your turn. Um. I was going to, um, I had a little thought on the whole uh, Bob Costas and his little spill on Sunday Night Football a couple weeks ago, but I've already forgot it by now. So, (laughs) And, of course, I'll I'll remember something to say after I get off the phone, but right now I can't seem to uh, think of anything. Although I did just see a tweet from Omar, and it, Kind of went along with everything we've been saying. Of course, I can't find it now. Um, uh, says, oh, yeah. says, being real with you, South Florida, as a sports town, we're national jokes. Not the teams, mainly the fan base. So, you know, I know Omar Kelly's not exactly the most popular beat writer amongst the fans, but I think he, you know, I don't 
know the people personally. I've never been to Miami. I don't know that kind of stuff. And I think this insider is a great community, and we have a lot of smart fans on both sides of, of, of these debates. But I think he's right. I think that you've got these fans that are just, I don't know if the expectations are just too high or or what it is, but, you know, I mean, you've got a team, you brought in a franchise quarterback or a guy that you think to be a franchise quarterback, and you still see, you know, the stadium's empty. And for a guy like me, I grew up in a rural town in western North Carolina. If I lived, you know, within an hour of the Dolphins game and I could afford it, I would be there every week. Um, you know, that's a luxury I didn't have when I was a kid. Uh, the closest game I would have been able to get to is Atlanta, which is like four hours away. Uh, even now, Charlotte's about two hours away if I wanted to go watch the Panthers play. So this is not just something I can just up and do at any time. So to me, it's kind of shameful to call myself a fan and not be able to go to the game. Now, I understand if, if you can't afford to. You know, and times are tough right now. But if you can afford to go to a game, don't sit at home and watch it on TV when you can go there. You know, from somebody who would appreciate, would have appreciated an opportunity like that when I was younger, you know, you know, that that's kind of, that embarrasses me. I, I agree with Ohio on that. He always talks about that. It's like, look, man, go out and see the games. And I think fans should. And so I agree with him more on that. I think that, uh, I think the fan base, you know, especially the ones not going to the game, I think they should uh, go out and support the team a little more. I, uh, I've, I've got two two comments that I will end the show with. The first one is um, The Who is doing the Sandy Relief concert right now. And Derek Shelby just tweeted out, Thanks to the Sandy Relief concert, I now know who sings the CIA, CSI intro. <laughs> so there's uh, Derek Shelby's thought. And uh, the other thing is I just saw this, and I was actually going to have a uh, NASCAR moment for you, Chris, because – they have the uh, new cars for the next season out on the track today in um, Charlotte, I think. I think they were just right there in Charlotte. But uh, they, they, they're they starting to test the new cars and everything after the car of tomorrow is now gone. But anyway, my other point is Jeff Darlington tweeted this four hours ago, and I just saw it just now. But apparently Roger Goodell said that the competition committee is going to start looking at the possibility of expanding playoffs from 12 teams to 14 or 16 teams. So it what? would be either six or or seven or eight teams in both conferences making the playoffs. So I guess you're picking up another wild card or two. So uh, apparently I'm, that's a thought. I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> yeah, that's too and, much. And somebody well, tweeted well, back to him, Bill still won't make it. Uh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, while that might increase the Dolphins' chances, I think that waters waters down the waters down the field. I mean, you know, you look at the NCAA tournament, you know, a lot of the 60, what, 65 teams that get into that out of, I don't know, 100, 200 teams in, yeah. in Division One, But, I mean – you know that that's appropriate to that field. If you if you add in sixteen teams to the playoffs, that's half of the teams. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I think what you would see there, and th- this is the part that I would think it makes it okay. Um, I, I don't think they should do it. I think the playoffs are okay where they are, but um, if you gave 
all four division winners a bye and then had the four wild cards from each conference play each other to move on, that could be a way to do it. Um, I, I would not want to see four play, four wild cards play four division winners. I'd want to see them play each other. The issue there is going to be then you have two wild card winners. They play two division winners, so you then have two teams that are taking two weeks off instead of just one week off. So that doesn't work as well as I would want it to, but that would be what no, I want to see. No, because you'd have four division four division winners and you could have the two the two strongest division winners that next week get to play the two winners of the wild card round, the four those four teams. Right. And then those other two teams play each other. And now you have three teams other, left though. So yeah, that's true. Somebody get another buy right there. No, you, no, no. You're right. You'd have to go to eight. Yeah, yeah. That's. It, uh, it, yeah, it would just be weird to work out. But I would absolutely want to see it. I think that if you did it in some way that you made winning the division worth more, I think that makes sense. It's kind of like what baseball did, even though that weird one game series makes no sense. Um. Winning the division absolutely meant something in baseball this year. And Dude, what baseball did is the stupidest thing ever. You don't play 162 games and then yes. decide it on one game. One That's game. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. I think that it should have been a three-game series. And I really think that at least what it really does in that sense is you you have a city somewhere that is happy their team made the playoffs – that never get a chance to see them in the playoffs because they went for one game to some other city. And in baseball, that doesn't make any sense. Obviously, in football, it's a completely different story where every game is one game. There are no series. But, right. yeah, I think that I think that should be a three-game series. It's one. It's a home-and-home, and, home, and if you need a third game, then it goes back to whoever had the better record. But I guarantee if Goodell could turn the – Super Bowl into a three or five game series somehow he would do it. That would be awesome. I don't know how you would do just it. Just the same two teams just keep playing every week for four or five weeks. Oh my god. They would just the destroy end, each other. By the end you're just like, Okay, you know what I'm gonna do right now. Okay. I don't care. You're trying to come up with new playbooks. You're calling other coaches in. Hey, uh what play would you run down in Miami for this situation? Okay, I'm going to run that play because they haven't seen me run that. <laughs> you could never do it because the strategy would just be – Oh, it would be out. horrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they'd be trying to kill – let's say it was the Patriots, the FC. I mean, <laughs> the, the NFC would say, you know, he's their only chance to win. If we take him out in the first game, we win yeah. the series. Yep. But uh, If the NFL needs to make new rules, the first rule we need to get rid of is the – uh, roster limits. Um, what I have read, roster limits were were put in place to keep teams from from adding too many good players at positions. Yes. But with the salary cap, that's nullified because you can't you can't overspend for players, and you can't. I mean, you might have eighty players on a team uh, on a regular you know, roster, but you know you can't pay all of them ten million dollars because it's going to go over the cap. So the cap space makes that. The salary cap makes 
roster one that's in a way kind of kind of superfluous. The second but rule is the NFL really wants to be serious about the playoffs. They just make a rule where the Jets never can get in, and then everything will be fine. <laughs> I think there has to be some roster limit. I think there has to be some sort of roster limit, but I think it could be. It needs to be expanded for the sake of injuries, if nothing else. They need to yeah, be more I mean, lenient on. They need to be more lenient on bringing guys back. Um, you know, maybe maybe, maybe allowing uh, practice squads to expand. You know, by another five or ten players, and and you can pull. You know, you can call like call players up per se, like you do in my, you know Major League Baseball, and you can only call them up so many times before they basically become a free agent and anybody else can snag them. That sort of thing. I mean, and if you, I mean, if you think about it, most of your NFL rosters, you know, I, I can't remember what it is. It's like the top forty some contracts are the only ones that count against the cap. So if you kept something like that in place then all you're basically going to add is just roster depth. So, to me, I wouldn't care if you had 53 players or 100 players. Your, your top 45 are going to be your main, your highly paid guys that are going to play most of the time. Everybody else is just just there for the fun of it, really. They're just there on the team. So, And I don't think it would ever get that bad, but I agree they could expand it. You know, Instead of 53, yeah, it's maybe 65. Leave it there, you know, and let let the you know, let um, you know, that way you don't have to cut so many people all the time. You can add some players. You can try different things. You know, I, I just don't think that the roster. I like I like are, to see it go up just so you could develop. You can leave guys on the roster and develop yeah, them. And develop them. Who you do? Yeah, so you don't have to expose them to the practice squad, so they get poached. But you know, which, you know, which comes back to there should be a minor league system. Well, I I. I don't know if you remember the post. I wrote an entire post about how that would work and how it would work financially, and then everybody just told me I was an idiot. So, uh, oh yeah, it it would be horrible financially. They could do it, but it would be horrible financially. And I don't, that's think, why I don't, NFL think, I don't Europe, think so. That's why NFL Europe failed, and part of that was also the fact that it was in Europe. But yeah, but let, 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 let's 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 say for example, you've got thirty-two teams. That's six. Let's see, you had sixteen minor league teams, and each. Each team got to assign, you know, so many players to their, their, you know, and Austin had a team that was composed of half Dallas Cowboys developmental players and half Houston, Texas developmental players. Yep. And it was in Austin, Texas, where they don't have it, but they have, you know, in, in Miami and Tampa split one that was in Orlando. You could do Orlando. And, you know, so, Jacksonville yeah, so and Atlanta it, it, could do Savannah. Make it. Yeah, Savannah or Macon or there's all these other places and you know there's and there's towns that are hungry for something and just like minor league baseball thrives in those types of towns and even much smaller towns than that you don't need it you don't need to pack a seventy thousand you know stadium Your, people are going to go see it I, I would go if if I lived in Orlando as a Dolphin fan I'd go see those games most certainly and of course they'd have they'd have to run you know. At the same, they would have to play during the same time that everything else football-wise is playing. Otherwise, you know, you can't have a guy play all spring and then call him up, start playing football in the summer. That's just, yeah, I think that's too much and, for anybody. And, and you know, with all this concern with concussions and injuries, you know, one of the biggest arguments against, you know, people saying, well, the NFL really doesn't care, <clears throat> excuse me, care about that. 
of the Thursday night game. You have these teams that come in and basically just kind of sleepwalk through a game, and guys are getting hurt on these Thursday night games. We'll do away with that and then show the minor league games on Thursday nights. I mean, I, I, I find it hard to believe that as hardcore as these Dolphins fans are, you know, we're, we're on a podcast, we have a website. As much as we keep up with this team, there is no way possible that fans would just, you know, if, if there's guys out there, I don't care if it's minor league, I don't care if, what kind of league it is. If there's a if there is a Dolphin jumping through a sunshine slapped on the helmet, we're going to watch. So, I mean, I absolutely would watch the Dolphins, you know, minor league yeah, absolutely. Thursday night. And, I, I and, and, and ESPN or TNT will pay, you know, some network like that will pay. They're not going to pay like they pay for, you know, major level sports, but they're going to pay enough money that it that it's going to pay the players' salaries. The NFL doesn't have to make a lot of money on it. They just need to use it as a vehicle, you know, to not only promote their sport but develop players. And it's not going to be a bad – I had somebody say – that it was going to be a terrible brand of football. And I'm like, there's, if you take all the stars in college football, you know, a very small sliver of those make the NFL, but they were great to watch in college. So how would they not be, how would a minor league team full of former college stars be bad to watch? I don't understand that. Yeah. And I, and I think what Kevin said about being in Europe, I mean, you know, those guys, they don't care as much about, you know, our our brand of football. The fans here do care. So, I mean, you slap the NFL logo on it and make it halfway watchable. I mean, if it's out there and it just looks like, you know, it looks like crap. But, I mean, people watch minor league baseball games even though it's not the big leagues because it's, you know, it's close enough. If you slap the NFL logo on it and say, hey, this is a dog, this these people are part of the Miami Dolphins. You know, people like, I'm, I'm going to watch it because, you know, and we're going to start these new bandwagons for, for these guys that nobody's ever heard of. That hey, this guy's going to be caught up. And he's going to be the next, you know, Brandon London or whatever. You know, we as fans are going to absolutely eat that stuff up if they marketed it right. And I think the NFL could do that. Uh, you know, and it, and, it, and it, I think it's all the way around. And I don't know. I think you should. No, no. I mean, I mean, I mean, knowing that. knowing that we could pull could pull a lineman out of Orlando, we could have called them up on you know, Monday because Jake Long went down on Sunday, you know, or pull him up on Tuesday because we put Jake Long on injury reserve on Monday. That's, that would be awesome. That's what, that's what they need to do, but who knows. And the other rule is make a rule where the Jets can't make the playoffs and then <laughs> the world is better. So. You know what you could do? So, you really, so, so what you're telling us is you really like the Jets? Is that what you're saying? Interestingly, no, what I mean, you could do in this minor league plan, in this minor league plan, you could split the Jets and the Giants teams, and actually have that team play in New York. No, and you know what? People would go see it. <laughs> Just saying, it could actually be in New York. <laughs> but okay, yeah, I mean, well, you know, you know how, yeah, go on. I would say, I mean, you know how how. Fans are there. So the backup quarterback is the most popular guy on the team. You know, Tim for all Tebow? these people, like, yeah, I mean, all these people that are hating on Mark Sanchez and and saying all this stuff, saying we need to get rid of him. If there was a guy that was playing on Thursday night on the on the on the practice squad or the or the uh, 
the minor league team. And, uh, hang on. Hey, 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 there are babies involved in this show now. Oh, my. <laughs> Sorry. Um, can't, can't, like that. cannot people believe you let your baby it. interrupt our show. All right, well, that, that kind of stuff happens. <laughs> I guess that's my cue to exit, so. <laughs> we are closing in on the on the two hour mark now, so uh, it's a long show. Good night, everyone. I'm right, go. <laughs> bye, bye, Duke. Thanks for thanks for being on. Good night, Duke. Um, I'll go ahead and start closing out the show, but the one thing I do want to remind everybody, and if you're listening to this on the recorded version or on the podcast version off iTunes or however you're listening to it, and you've actually made it this far, that's uh, pretty impressive. Um, for everybody else like Jason Scott, the only person I think who is actually listening to us live, um, the, the thing to remember this week is that this is the game to honor the uh, – perfect season so that'll be at halftime if you uh can go to the game that'll be something pretty cool um but yeah the 40th anniversary of the 1972 season is being honored at the jaguars game so chad henney was not involved in that team but (laughs) uh yeah so that'll be good that'll be nice and uh should be pretty cool um they are also inducting six new members into the Walk of Fame for the Dolphins, which nice. are uh, Earl Morrill and Don Strock, Nat Moore and A.J. Dewey, and Manny Fernandez and Tim Bowens are all wow. going into the Walk of Walk of uh, Honor out, outside uh, – outside gate C at the stadium. If you guys want to go, it's a pre-game ceremony at 1130 before the game. Um, it'll be at the Joe Robbie alumni plaza where the, where the statue is. So those six guys are going in. It's good. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's a good, uh, it's a good class. And I'm glad that Tim Bowens is going into it. It's because, a good class for those of us that appreciate old school. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, obviously Earl Morrill, Don Strock, AJ Dewey, Manny Fernandez, Nat Moore, those guys are bigger names. Um, those are guys that get a lot of notoriety. Tim Bowen's not as much outside of Dolphins fans, so it, it's nice to see him getting recognized by the team and getting his name carved into the floor, I guess. Indeed. <laughs> but okay. Well, James, I know uh you've been having crazy weeks lately, so thanks very much for making it into the show tonight. Um Jason Scott, thank you very much for making it into the show tonight and uh getting us going tonight. A real quick call, you were ready to go right away. So uh <laughs> It was a it, it was a good show. Um, hopefully, some people listen to it, and we get some comments off my rant at least. So, <laughs> everybody have a good uh, I love night. A good rant. And uh, it was a good show, James. Thanks for come, calling in. All right, man. Good night. Good night.
Hi, I'm Mark from Marinda Safeway. We offer great savings on groceries, but did you know we also offer savings at the pump? Earn 10 cents off per gallon when you spend $100 at Safeway stores. Enter your phone number or swipe your club card at the register and earn points. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Maximum gas reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon and $1 per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com forward slash reward. This is Mark from Marinda Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.